Page 8, point E. Many people talk about the sovereignty of God. We're going to talk about that for just this section and we're moving on. The sovereignty of God is not the fickleness of God. Right? Most people use the sovereignty of God to mean He can be fickle. One minute He does it this way, next minute He does it that way, and who knows what God's going to do next. And, you know, God works in mysterious ways. Only to those who don't know Him. Alright? Well, you know, but, but what about the sovereignty? No, God's sovereignty is in the Bible. Alright? What he wrote is his sovereignty. He had the sovereignty to write the Bible and say, this is the way I want it, this is the way it's going to be done. Now, when you abide by that, exactly by that, you are not denying his sovereignty, you are enforcing it. Okay? Now, next. Uh, now, part of this too. <clears throat> In the bottom part it says, you cannot have faith any further than your knowledge of what the will of God is. Now, in my opinion, there is no such thing as an unspoken request. Well, there are unspoken requests, and just no answered unspoken request. Okay? And because if someone asks me, we say, okay, we need, who's, we're going to pray for people here. Uh, who needs prayer? Somebody raise their hand. They say, uh, unspoken request. All right. Oh, Father, hear that unspoken request and heal, you know, and, and, and answer that request. Now, you don't know what that request is. And the Bible says, if two or three shall agree concerning anything, as touching anything, then it shall be done. Now, we're not agreeing. Even though we're agreeing it should be done, we're not agreeing on what shall be done. And believe it or not, you don't always know that what they're asking is scriptural. You know, because people can ask some weird things. I've been in meetings where I had one lady come up one time and say, hey, you know, I, I, I'm just lonely. I wish, I wish God would give me a husband. Would you pray that God will give me a husband? And I said, yeah, let's pray. And I take her by the hands and I realize she's got her wedding ring on. And I'm like, what's that? She goes, well, well, I'm married. I said, I thought you wanted a husband. She goes, well, I got a husband. I don't want the one I got. I want another one. <laughs> Seriously. And I'm like, okay. So if I had just taken greed, yeah, Lord, give her another husband. See, I would have been partaking with her sin. Do you get that? So you don't always know what people think. That's why sometimes people say, you know, how come so-and-so died? Man, there was faith coming out of them. They were full of faith. They were believing and they died. Wrong. Because the Bible says, if you have faith, you live. Right? The just shall live by their faith. Ain't right? But you will live. If you have faith, you live. You pray for people, they die. You didn't have faith. Simple as that. I'm sorry, it's not a better answer. But that's the way it is. Well, well, I know I was believing. Well, okay, well, let me get on the phone to heaven because God's a liar. I'm going to believe you. I don't think so. God said that if you have faith, they will recover. And they're right. You put hands on them, they're going to recover. It says that you pray the prayer of faith, the prayer of faith shall save the sick. It's as simple as that. So don't tell me about the person who was a good, saintly person who died believing. You don't know what they were believing. They may have been saintly, they may have been godly, and they're probably with God today. But do not say they were believing God. Right? Because if I have to choose between you and them, I'm sorry, but God's going to win. Or you and God. Right? Now, but, but I heard them talk faith. Okay, talking faith isn't believing. Even God said they draw nigh me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. So just because a person says something, that doesn't mean that's what's going on inside of them. You don't know. There are people out there, I, I've been involved in situations. I'll give you an example. See, I've got an example for all. See, I'm not telling you things by theory. I've lived it, I've walked it, I've done it, I've experienced it. Right? So, you can come to me with all the little theories you want, but I'm guaranteeing you, I have seen a little bit. 
And the things I'm telling you, I don't give you theory. You know, if, if it is, I tell you real quick, this is a theory. But there are very few of those because you can't walk by theory. But we were in Grand Junction, Colorado, in the middle of a DHT. A person who was a DHT from a, previ- from a previous training. And they said, she's dying. Would you come pray? I'm like, yeah, let's go. And she was dying. And I can't remember what it was from. It might have been cancer. I can't remember what it was. And so we go out there. Actually, before I got there, I said, yeah, we'll go at lunch. And they said, okay, because it was a little bit, a little drive and we had to have some time. So here I am teaching. After about the second session, they come to me and I said, uh, Brother Craig, at lunch, do you still want to go out there? And I'm like, yeah, we'll go. And they go, well, we just want to let you know, we just got the call. She died. She's dead. And I'm like, okay, well, let's go. So whenever we broke for lunch, we drive out there. House has about eight or ten people in it. They're all standing around praying, praying in tongues, praying, believing, you know, other DHTs, people like that. It was, it was a house full of faith, right? No doubt about it, a house full of faith. Now, we go out there. I know what it takes to stir me up. I know when I'm stirred up. I know when I'm not. And the Bible says to stir up the gift that's in you, and that's what I was doing. Now, if you live stirred up, when time comes, you don't have to stir up much more to get it done. But if you live way down here, then you have to stir up further to get it done. But if you can live up here, then you might have to stir up just a little bit. Right? So it's easier to live up in the high life of God rather than live low and have to stir up big. Right? It's much better, much more fun, a lot easier in the long run. Okay? Now, we went out there. I'm stirring myself up. But I'm telling you, I'm not... and, And you don't hear me use words like this much, but I'm trying to use the description that you would understand. I'm not feeling anything. I'm not getting anything. I know when I'm stirred up, and I'm telling you, I'm trying to stir up, but I'm not getting stirred up, and which is really weird for me. I mean, I can stir up quick, and it just wasn't happening. And so finally I said, I'll be back in a minute, and I went outside to go for a walk, because I went out there and talk with God without a bunch of people standing around trying to hear every word I'm praying. And so I go to walking down this railroad track, and I'm like, God, what's going on here? And then I turn back to myself, and I'm like, come on, Chris, stir yourself up. What's your problem? This woman's life depends on it. Now stir up. Started praying in tongues, getting strong. And spiritually, I was getting stirred up. Stirring up the gift enough to raise the dead, wasn't happening. So finally I go back to the house and I'm like, you know, I don't want to look at you and go, I don't know what's going on. I don't get it. I, I, I'm doing everything I know to do. I'm, I'm doing what's worked before, but ain't nothing happening here. So eventually it gets close to 2 o'clock. We have to go back to the DHT to finish. I told him, I said, you know, we'll, we'll pick up where we left off and let's just keep going. So I go back to the DHT. Go through the whole DHT. Ends up, uh, that was the last day. We had a healing service that night. The next day, uh, I'm leaving out, getting ready to leave out. And I went and talked to the people there, and the, the husband's there, and the, the uh, state director was there. And I'm like, you know, what, what do you want to do? And he said, I don't know. You know, at this point, they've agreed to just go ahead and bury her and do everything. And so they let her go to the... And she, was, she was in her house for two days. They stayed praying over and everything, two days there. And so... We, we went ahead and left, and about a day later, while I was on the road driving, I got a call. And it was my state director for Colorado at that point. And he said, uh, Brother Curry, the, um, the woman gave her name, and he said, her husband would like to talk to you. I said, okay. And, you know, I, I'm thinking, I want to apologize. I'm sorry. It's my fault. I, I, you know, if, if there's a failure, it's me. And so I get on the phone, and he's there, and I'm like, you know, I just want to tell you how sorry I was. He goes, no, 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 i got to apologize to you. And I said, well, what do you mean? He goes, well... I love my wife, and I miss her. And I said, yeah, I know. And, and, and I'm sorry, no, 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 let me finish. I said, okay, and he said, there's something i got to tell you. 
I said, okay, what is it? And he said, my wife and I made an agreement that if, because they were both over 70, and he said, my wife and I made an agreement that if either one of us died, the other one would not try to raise the other one up and would not have anybody do it because our will was to go on to heaven. We have finished our life here. We have, they, they had a hard life. And they had just gotten right with God about two or three years before that. And their life was, I'm telling you, that when you hear stories of hard lives, this is one for the books. And so, here they are, over 70. She dies. She goes on. He had, he had called us in in a violation of a vow that they had made together. And I'm hearing this, and I'm like, you know... That sure would have been good to know when we had all the DHTs there because everybody's going out going, what's the deal? And so I told the state director, I said, you know the names of people there, call them, let them talk to them, let them know what's going on. And so we went through all that and now he is, he's kind of, you know, he, for a bit there, he was out of the church for a little bit and just sat, he was just sad and lonely, he just missed her. And so now he's back in church, he's doing good, everything's going back on, there's more healings out there, everything's picked back up. But we don't always know what, what all is going on inside of a person or sometimes in a situation. We had one young man that we were praying for, praying about, and ministering to. And man, his mother brought him from England. And he had cancer in his uh, tongue in the back of his throat. It had eaten a hole in the side. It was a big hole. You could see up into the mouth. There was, there was runny pus coming out of it. It was horrible. It, it, was, it stunk. I mean, it was, you know, you get around it, you smell death. And, we, man, we were getting breakthrough. We could see this thing starting to dry up around the edges. He would, the, the strange thing was, I would have somebody take his mother for a walk. And we would begin to pray with him while they're gone. And he would build up, be strong, do good. And... Whenever she would come back, bam, we'd lose all the ground we'd just gotten. And then she would want to stay there. She didn't like leaving him alone, not alone with any one person, but we had a group of people there. But she was so overbearing and so protective over him in that way. And as we were ministering, we would break certain things, cast things out, and you could see it literally go from him to her. When we started praying for him... This spirit would jump off of him and onto her. We would minister to him. He would start to get better. And then whenever she would move close, this thing would jump back. As soon as we quit, quit praying and saying, in Jesus' name, you know, that's it. Okay, this is kind of this session. We're going to stop here for a second. She would move close and this thing would jump back on him. And immediately, he was right back. And so finally, we ended up going in and I said, you know, you stay over here and stay apart. Which she fought that. She didn't like it. And didn't like the idea that this was going on. But eventually we broke this thing and got the victory over it. But I learned from things like that. And you learn to watch what goes on. You can watch when you go into a house. You can find out who uh, coddles this spirit. Right? Who puts up with it. Who helps energize that thing. You can watch. And it, there's a lot more. And, and honestly, this is not the time for it. It's more in-depth. After you've been doing this a while... If you want me to come back, I'll be glad to come back. We'll pick up. We'll do kind of a next thing and we'll get more specific on some of these things. We just don't have the time. And the time is allotted for, to get the basics to get you going. All right? There's things I told you right now you probably wouldn't even be able to use for three months down, six months down the road. Right? You just wouldn't run into it. Some of these things are individual cases like dealing with principalities. There are principalities of sickness and disease over certain areas 
that when you go into, you can beat them. There's no doubt. You can beat anything. But there's ways of dealing with them that makes beating them easier or harder. Okay? And there's ways of doing things in it. So, and, and you learn. You just learn by trial and error a lot of times. Uh, you don't have to have me come back. You can learn it yourself, but <laughs> not always fun learning it. So, now, let's move on. Now, here we are. Page 9. The Corinthian church was not a perfect church. Right? It was messed up. Pretty messed up church. As a matter of fact, it was one of the most messed up churches in the Bible. There was sin in the Corinthian church that Paul said wasn't even heard of among the brethren. With that in mind, remember that Paul also wrote that the Corinthian Christians came behind no one when it came to operating in the gifts of the Spirit. Note that even when with rampant sin in the church, he did not say that they were doing the, that what they were doing, which was the gifts, that it wasn't real. He just said, learn how to do it right, operate it right. Now think about that. They were operating in the gifts wrong because he corrected them. Now most people believe, well if it's the gifts operating them, then God's operating them, so it can't be done wrong. But they were operating them wrong, and he told them, if you're going to speak in tongues, let it be like this. If you're going to prophesy, let it be like this. If you're going to give a message in tongues, then make sure there's an interpreter, which means that they knew everybody and knew who could interpret and who couldn't. Isn't that right? Because you can't make sure an interpreter is present unless you know somebody has interpreted in the past, and therefore that gift is pretty much resident, and it had to be somebody you had to know. Because you wouldn't, generally in the church today, we'll have a gift, a uh, message in tongues, and then we'll wait for somebody to pick it up. And many times we put it out there and there's no one to interpret. Isn't that right? And usually when that happens, it goes back on the person giving the tongues to have to interpret also. And that leads to people questioning, was it really a message from God? Was that really an interpretation? All that kind of stuff. But if you do it the Bible way, you don't run into that. And this goes back to some of Dr. Simmerall's teaching on the gifts that are just solid, simple instructions. Now, notice this. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 1. If you have a Bible and don't have a manual, you can go there. Paul, writing to the Corinthians, says... And I, brethren, when I came to you, came not with excellency of speech or of wisdom, declaring unto you the testimony of God. For I determined not to know anything among you, save Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. And my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power. That, why was it in spirit and power and not words? That your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men but in the power of God. Most in the church today, we have our faith in the wisdom of men and in the words they speak. And we, are, we try to argue good or give good apologetics rather than demonstrating the Spirit of God and having the power of God. He goes on. Howbeit, we speak wisdom among them that are perfect or mature, yet not the wisdom of this world, nor of the princes of this world that come to naught. But we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, even the hidden wisdom, which God ordained before the world unto our glory, which none of the princes of this world knew, for had they known it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But, as it is written, I hath not seen nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man, the things which God hath prepared for those or for them that love Him. Stop right there. Now, notice. He is quoting an Old Testament verse. Right? An Old Covenant verse. Now notice the first word of the next scripture. Verse 10. But. Now that word but means disregard everything I just said. That's what it means. 
That's what Paul meant, right? If you come to me and say, Brother Curry, um, I, I'm broke down out here and, and I ran out of gas and I need some money and could I, could I have $10 for some gas money? And I looked at you and I said, yeah, I saw your car. I was wondering what the deal was. And, you know, yeah, I got $10. There'd be no problem. I got the money. I can give you $10. I don't mind a bit. And, uh, you know, I know you need it. And it'd probably be real good if I gave it to you. And I, and I would really love to give it to you. But, when I say but, what does that mean? You ain't getting the $10. Isn't it right? I could tell you for 30 minutes how I had it, how you need it, how I'd love to give it to you. But as soon as I say but, that means disregard everything I just said. Isn't it right? And if you will note here, that's exactly what Paul was saying. See, we quote that verse all the time. Well, you know, eye hadn't seen, ear hadn't heard. Have you ever noticed how religion has a sound? It has a certain sound in its voice. When you start getting religious, religion always seems to kind of trail off at the end. And it always ends on a high note. Have you ever noticed that? I have not seen. You hear that? Almost like you're singing. It just kind of trails off. Ear hasn't heard. And that's why they can sing when they preach sometimes, because it just kind of goes right along with it. Right? But it trails off. But religion always quotes half a verse. It never finishes it. That isn't all that says. It says here, he is quoting, he says, As it is written in the Old Testament, it is written, I hath not seen, nor ear heard, neither has it entered the hearts of men the things which God has prepared for them that love him. See, we quote that all the time. You know, we don't know. We don't know the things that God has for us. Well, Before you quote that, you ought to read the rest of the verse. Because the rest of the verse says exactly the opposite. He says, that was in the Old Testament, he says, But God hath, past tense now, revealed them, what them? The things that eye hadn't seen and ear hadn't heard. The things that no man knows and the things that hadn't entered into the hearts of men. All those things have been revealed to us now by the Spirit of God. So when you start saying, well, you know, nobody knows what God's going to do. You know what you're really saying? I don't know what God's going to do because I don't know God. That's what you're saying. So don't be saying that kind of stuff. Paul didn't say it. Jesus didn't say it. Nobody said it. You know, that's, that's that scripture that's right in there with, you know, cleanliness is next to godliness. Right? It's not in the Bible. And neither is God works in mysterious ways in the sense that we take it. Right? He says here, <clears throat> notice this. But God hath revealed them unto us by His Spirit, for the Spirit searches all things, yea, the deep things of God. For what man knows the things of a man, save the spirit of man which is in him? Even so, the things of God knoweth no man but the Spirit of God. So the Spirit of God is the only person who knows anything about God. So anything you learned about God, you learned by the Spirit of God. You didn't learn anything on your own. Right? You're not that smart. You can't dig that deep. God is too unfathomable. God has to reveal Himself by His Spirit. There's kind of a thing going around about the God who hides Himself. You know, he plays hide and seek. And you've got to, you know, early in the morning will I seek thee. And if you seek after me and do all every one of those are Old Testament. And not, there is nothing in the New Testament about God hiding himself. Everything in the New Testament is about God revealing himself. You need to quit worrying about God hiding himself and playing hide and seek with God and start walking with him. Where is he going to hide? I'll tell you where he's hidden. He's hidden in you. Amen. The problem is you keep looking for him everywhere else. That's why you never find him. You need to realize he is in you. He's not hiding himself. The last book in the Bible, the revelation, the revealing. Isn't that right? The revealing of Jesus Christ. Not the hiding of Jesus Christ. He's not hiding. He's revealing himself. And yet, what do people say? Now, that's the most mysterious book in the Bible. And it's called the revelation. Well, maybe it's mysterious because you keep trying to put spiritual things into it. Maybe you ought to just read it for what it says and take it literal. When you take it literal, it's amazing how much sense it makes. Even though you couldn't figure it out. 
So, he goes on. He says, Now we have received, not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit which is of God. Why? That we might know the things that are freely given to us of God. Why do you have the Spirit of God? So you can know what God has given you freely. Not the things you had to twist his arm and get. Not the things you had to pull out of heaven. The things he has freely given to you. Where did he give it to you? In your spirit. And by the spirit, the spirit brings out of that thing. Isn't it what Jesus said? A good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings out good things. Right? And he brings out old and new things together. Now, he says, Which things also we speak, not in the words which man's wisdom teaches, but which the Holy Ghost teaches. Comparing spiritual things with spiritual. But the natural man receives not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him. Neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. But he that is spiritual judges all things, yet he himself is judged of no man. Verse 16. For who has known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him? Isn't that amazing? People quote that all the time. Who can know the mind of the Lord? Oh, next word. But, you know what that means? We can know the mind of the Lord. Why? But we have the mind of Christ. Now, if you have the mind of Christ, guess what? You can know the mind of the Lord. Isn't that right? But yet, we always... See, you always want to put it back. Why? Because you don't want to take responsibility to actually have to do something with it. That's what it comes down to. Another Old Covenant quote with a New Covenant answer. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Paul, still writing to the Corinthians. And I, brethren, could not speak unto you as unto spiritual, but as unto carnal even as unto babes in Christ. So what is a babe in Christ? They're carnal. So if babes in Christ are carnal, what are spiritual? Mature, right? So you've got babes and mature, you've got spiritual, and you've got carnal, right? Different classifications. Now, let's look at this. He says, I have fed you with milk and not with meat. For hitherto you were not able to bear it, neither yet now are you able. And so what's he telling them? I cannot give you meat. Right? He says, you can't bear it. Up to now, you haven't been able to bear it, and you still can't. So now, he's writing in chapter 3. So that means that nothing, because they didn't change by the time he finished. Right? This, remember, this is a letter. When he wrote it, they weren't there. And he says here, there is no meat in Corinthians. Now, I don't care how, di- how deep you dig. You are not going to find meat in Corinthians. But our problem is, we have a different definition for meat. Because I will have, now nobody's done this here, but I invariably have people come and say, well, we were getting some meat today. Oh, that was some good meat of the word today. I appreciate it. I know what you mean. But that's not the Bible definition of meat. What you mean is we're, we're digging in and we're getting a hold of truth and that kind of stuff. But the Bible says right here, Paul told the Corinthians, I cannot give you meat. So that means there is no meat in the book of Corinthians. True or false? Might not like it, but that's what it says. That means that everything in the book of Corinthians is what? Milk. Isn't that what he said he can give them? He said, I can't give you meat, I can only give you milk. Right? So everything in 1 Corinthians, at least, is milk and there is no meat there. Yet, he says that in chapter 3. But yet, nine chapters over. We have 1 Corinthians chapter 12 that talks about the nine gifts of the Spirit and how they operate and how you're supposed to operate them. But yet, do you realize how we do? Well, if I get spiritual enough, if I fast enough, pray enough, get spiritual enough, if I, if I get spiritual enough, then God will use me with one of the gifts. No, the gifts aren't for the spiritual, they're for the carnal. The Corinthians were carnal, the Corinthians were operating the gifts, they didn't have to be spiritual. You think you have to be spiritual before you can operate in a gift. Gifts don't make you spiritual, fruit makes you spiritual. Gifts are given, fruit is grown. Right? 
Gifts are given instantly. Fruit is grown. Gifts are for babes. Fruit is for maturity. Isn't that simple? Now, he goes on. He says, verse 3, For you are yet carnal, for whereas there is among you envying and strife and divisions, are you not carnal and walk as men? Well, what are we supposed to walk like? Sons of God. Not like men. When you walk like men, you walk like devils. Right? Do you know that the mind of man is the equal, the mind of natural man is equal to the mind of the devil? Same thing. Want to prove it? Okay, I will. <laughs> Remember when um, Jesus says, listen, I'm fixing to go die in Jerusalem. And Peter says, no, uh-uh, ain't going to happen. Right? And Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. Now, when he said that, people say, oh, see, he was possessed of a devil. That's what people try to say, because he said, get behind me, Satan. Now, technically, the word Satan there means adversary. It means that you're against me. Right? It doesn't mean he had a devil, per se. It just means you were thinking like the devil. Then he tells him, he says, For you savor not, or don't desire and think after the things of God, but the things of man. So, when you think like a man, God will call you Satan. Because man, we just realized, we just learned a minute ago, that the mind of the natural man cannot receive the things of the Spirit of God. Isn't that right? You cannot receive them. So, the mind of natural man is equal to the mind of Satan. Natural man thinks like a devil. Redeemed man, renewed mind... Thinks like God. So you will think like God or like a devil. Now you get to choose which. But as you have your mind renewed, you will start to think more like God and less like the devil. Isn't that simple? Now, when you are carnal, fleshly minded, you think like the devil. But whenever you are spiritual and spiritual minded, then you think like God. So our job is renew the mind and begin to think like God. Now, let me tell you, I'll just give you some warning. People will give you flack when you start thinking like God. Okay, they will get mad, and usually it's the religious people that will do it. But it's because they have religious devils, right? That's why. Now, just as another side note, people always try to throw up your past. Pretty much everybody in here's got a past, right? We don't want to know it at this point, right? But I'm just saying you have one. Now, as you give your life to Christ, your mind is renewed. The hardest thing to do is to start walking like you're supposed to, because you always got people around you that remember who you used to be, and they remember you after the flesh and not after the spirit. Here's something to remember. Every per- Now, when God washed away your sins, does He remember them? Does He bring them up? Okay. Who brings them up? The devil brings them up. So anytime someone talks about your past, when you try to live right, do right, and do what you're supposed to do, and someone says, well, who do you think you are? I remember you when you did this. I remember that. Now, here's what you remember. All you know is this. You know it's not God speaking because God doesn't remember them. It's the devil speaking, and so you know who they work for. Isn't that simple? He said, but they're Christians. A lot of Christians work for the devil. Yeah, they, don't, they don't necessarily mean to, but they do. All right? that's, that's where a lot of different denominational stuff comes in a lot of times too. And so you have to realize that just because somebody says something doesn't make it right. Right? Don't, don't listen to the devil talking no matter who he talks through. Usually he'll t- try to talk to your own mind and he'll try to convince you it's you thinking it. But it's because he uses your voice. You know, you see, that the Spirit of God and the devil both uses your voice to talk to you. Why? Because you're not hearing what... Have you ever sung into a, a cassette recorder and then played it back? And when you're singing, you know, you sound like Elvis Presley. You know, you get that? And you play it back and you sound like Woody Allen. You ever notice that? And you're like, good Lord, that, that can't be me. You know why? It's because when you're singing, you hear you from the inner ear, the inside. When you hear from the outside, you're hearing what other people hear. Right? Don't you pity them. 
Right? But you hear from the outside, right? You hear from the outer ear. Well, when God speaks, He doesn't speak to the flesh. He speaks to the spirit. When the devil speaks, he's a spirit. He speaks to the spirit also. So he doesn't speak to the flesh either. So when you hear the devil... See, here's how you judge a spirit. You don't judge a spirit based on the tone of the voice or how it sounds. You judge it based on the message it brings. Because that's the only thing you can judge it by. Because both the devil and the Holy Spirit sound identical. You know who they sound like? You. You know why? Because you're hearing them through the inner ear, which is the only way you've ever heard you. Right? And they talk to you through that way, so you listen, and it'll sound like you, because the inner ear, the spirit ear, see, your spirit is connected to your flesh. It's connected. Right? And whenever you hear through that, it has... The outer ear has certain vibrations and it changes with tone and changes with volume. The inner ear doesn't do that. It doesn't differentiate tone or volume or any of that. All it does is differentiate based on the electrical impulses that it turns the message into. So God and the devil both speak the same way. It'll sound like you. The only way you can tell who's talking is what message it agrees with. You get that? So that's how you know who's talking to you. Okay, now, let's move on. Next, he says, let's go down, uh, yeah, we are going to go, yeah, go on, go to the next page, page 11, we're going to have to hurry here, we're doing pretty good, milk and meat, now, remember in chapter 3 of Corinthians, it says, I couldn't give you meat, I could only give you milk, right, now in Hebrews, remember Paul wrote Corinthians, he also wrote Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 5, verse 11, Paul is talking about Melchizedek, and he's still talking about the, the superiority of the, old, of the New Covenant over the Old. He says, Of whom we, Paul and his group, have many things to say, and hard to be uttered, seeing you are dull of hearing. You notice he didn't say it's hard for me to say it. He says it's hard for me to tell you because you're dull of hearing. Right? So he knew what he was talking about, but the people couldn't receive it. He says, For when for the time, meaning how long you've been a Christian, You ought to be teachers. You have need that one teach you again, which be the first principles of the oracles of God. In other words, it has to get you back to basics. And are become such. You have become such, he says, as have need of milk and not of strong meat. So he's calling them carnal instead of spiritual. Now, he said, you hadn't always been this way, but you've become this way. There was a time when you were walking with God, but apparently now you have grown dull in your hearing. You've settled into something, and you're not walking in what you know. So now you'll become dull of hearing, and you'll become those that have need of milk again instead of meat. Right? Now, he says, he's going to give you some definitions. For everyone that uses milk is unskillful. In the word of righteousness. Why? For he is a babe. So, being a babe, being carnal, being unspiritual, is the mark of being a babe, all that together. And it's the mark of doing what? Using, now watch this, he that uses milk. Now, remember what I told you in Corinthians? Corinthians was all milk. It says here, if you use milk, you're still a babe. But you have to go back to Corinthians and say, well, wait a minute, he said that was all milk. So if I use Corinthians, I'm still a babe? Yeah, let me explain why. We're going, you'll, you'll catch it here in just a second, watch this. He says, but strong meat belongs to them that are of full age, mature. Even those, now he's going to describe what spiritual maturity is. Even those who by reason of use, so in other words, they're doing something, have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. 
Now, if you're not having your senses exercised, if you're not doing anything with it, if you're not using it, you're not going to have your senses exercised, and you're not going to be able to discern between good and evil. You're going to go, is that God or is that the devil? Uh, Well, I'm not sure. You know why you're not sure? Because you're not exercising your senses. You're not doing what you're learning. You're hearers of the word and not doers. And when you're a hearer, not a doer, you deceive yourself. See how all these things tie back together? Now watch, he goes on. Therefore, leaving the principles of the doctrine of Christ, in other words, the basics, let us go on to perfection, maturity, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith towards God. Now look at that. He says that repentance from dead works, doing rituals, doing things that don't matter, teaching faith towards God. He says, listen, let's go to maturity. Let's get off the basics. Let's quit having to teach faith towards God and let's just walk in it. Do you realize that teaching faith towards God is the basics, the, the very simplest basics of the doctrine of Christ? And it's not something we're supposed to be teaching every day? You know why we have to teach it so many times? Because we always teach to the lowest level of the newest person in the congregation. And because we have open congregations, there's always new people there, so we can't ever go very far because we're going to leave somebody behind, and we're so worried about leaving somebody behind that we always stay at milk level and never get anything deeper. So, basically what you keep hearing over and over again keeps you at babe level. Right? Now, what should be going on, I'm not saying we shouldn't have open meetings, but there ought to be believers meetings, there ought to be evangelistic meetings, and there ought to be times when you are invited into a meeting because we're going to cover some things and we don't have to spend 45 minutes giving you qualifications and disclaimers and understanding to get you to where you can understand what we're talking about. And when you do that, then church becomes a school. And when it becomes a school, a Bible school, you don't have to send your people off to Bible school. They'll get it right there. And you'll raise up in your midst apostles and prophets and evangelists and pastors and teachers. And they'll come out of the local and say, send them off to somebody that you don't know who's teaching them what. And they go off to Bible school full of fire and come back full of ice. And they lose their faith. While they're, I, there are extremely few Bible schools that I will mention or encourage anybody to go to. Actually, there's one. There's only one, and I'm not talking about mine. All right? I mean, I encourage you to come, but I'm, I'm talking about outside of my own. Because I've seen the people that graduate from there, and I guarantee you, if I was sick and dying, I would not call them to pray for me. Right? It's just that simple. Because they have no faith in God, they don't know anything about God, and they end up, they put out professional preachers, which makes my stomach turn. I don't like professional preachers. People who say everything just right, and know exactly how to look at the camera. <laughs> We want to thank you for letting us come into your home. We want to welcome you to our place. See, I hate that kind of stuff, right? Let's get real. That's why I told you know, I I told one day maybe God will give me a satellite network. And then we'll call it something like, what is it? RCN, Real Christian Network. Just because it would be real people wearing blue jeans instead of $2,000 suits. And we'll be talking about real stuff instead of the stuff... That doesn't mean anything and doesn't help anybody, but makes you think you know a whole lot and you keep tuning in because you've got to get more to understand what you didn't get last week. Right? Okay, anyway. Now, so, believe me, I don't want a satellite network. I ain't got a time for it, but I'm just saying it'd be better than some of the junk that's on there. That one lady come to me one time and say, you know, I'm just so confused. I just, I, you know, I thought I understood, but I'm just confused. I'm like, well, what do you listen? Who are you listening to? She goes, well, I get up in the morning, turn on my Christian television, and, and I'm doing all my work around the house, so I just leave it on until noon, and so I just listen to Christian television all day long. I'm like, there's your problem. 
Turn that thing off. You're, you have six different people in three hours telling you six different things, and they got you totally confused, and none of them's right. I said, turn that thing off, and as soon as you do, clarity will start to come. Because you'll be quiet, and you'll hear God, instead of hearing a bunch of thoughts by people. So, next. I don't know why they haven't, TBN hadn't called me to do a television program for them yet, but they haven't. Now, but he says all these are the basics. Now, John chapter 4, starting in verse 5. I'm going to show you what milk and meat is. Then cometh he, Jesus, to a city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, near to the parcel of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Now Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore, being wearied with his journey, sat thus on the well, and it was about the sixth hour. Stop there. And this is amazing to me because it proves the validity of the Bible. Because nobody would think to put this in if they just made this up. But you notice what he says here? Jesus being... Now, the Apostle John is dictating... He's not writing this. He is dictating this to a group of students that he is teaching. You say, how do you know that? I'll prove it right now. He is teaching his students, of which several became very well known later on. They were disciples of John. And he's teaching this. And he says this. Jesus being wearied in his, in his journey sat thus on the well. Now, this isn't television. Right? This, this was a book. He was writing the Gospel of John. Right? And when he said, sat thus, you don't write, sat thus. Because sat thus doesn't mean anything. Right? Do you know how he sat? No. All you know is that he sat thus. Well, you, now, what was going on is the Apostle John, as he was dictating this, he said, now... He was standing there talking to his students. They're writing this stuff down. And he says, now, Jesus came to this well, and he sat thus. And he sat down and showed them how he sat. And they wrote down, sat thus on the well. And that proves the validity of the Bible, because nobody would think to stick that in there. Right? Now, it has nothing to do with healing. I just think it's neat. Anyway. (laughs) But he says, he sat thus on the well. Now, and it was about the sixth hour. There cometh a woman of Samaria to draw water. Jesus says unto her, Give me to drink. For his disciples were going away into the city to buy meat. Then saith the woman of Samaria unto him, How is it that you, being a Jew, ask drink of me, which am a woman of Samaria? For the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. See that? Religious. Religious sectarianism right then. She was amazed that he would even talk to her. Jesus answered and said unto her, If you knew the gift of God, and who it is that says to you, Give me to drink, you would have asked of me, ask of him, and he would have given you living water. And the woman said, Sir, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. From whence then hast thou this living water? Now, you have to understand what the term living water means. Living water, at that time, meant water that was moving, running, right? That's why we have baptistries, like big bathtubs. No Jew would baptize in our our baptistry. Would not do it. Why? Because it's not running water. It's dead water. It's dammed up on both ends. Remember I told you about that the other day. And so it's dammed up there. So they wouldn't baptize because they believe when you go under, the sins are washed away. When you come up, the sins would come back to you. Okay, go figure it out. (laughs) People are sticklers, right? Now, but he, notice he says living water. And she says, where do I get this living water? So for him, living water meant water that was moving. Now, we know that when he spoke of living water, he spoke of the Spirit of God, right? So, what does that tell us? The, word of, the Spirit of God is what? Always moving. So, why are you waiting for a moving of the Spirit? 
He's moving, why aren't you? Right? He says he will be a, a river, a well, a spring of living water springing up into eternal life. Springing up into eternal life. Isn't that right? You know what that means? There's movement that moves toward eternal life. Maybe if you ain't moving, maybe you ain't moving toward eternal life. You get this? That's the Spirit of God. He's moving. I'm just waiting on God. No, you ain't. He's waiting on you. He got here before you. He's been moving. Well, I don't want to get ahead of God. You can't run that fast. Right? You're not going to get ahead of God. But what if I make a mistake? You will. And when you do, then you can use that scripture that says that all things work together for the good, like you do it now. Right? And you just say he can fix whatever you mess up because you can't make up you can't make a mess so big that he can't fix. Right? Because you're not that big. So any mess you make by going and doing things, he can fix. Right? But the one the one thing he can't do is take your inactivity and change it to activity. So the worst mistake you'll ever make is do nothing. Amen? Better to do something and make a mistake than to do nothing and let people die without even trying to lift a hand. Right? That was our sin of Rwanda. You sit and you watch and watch 800,000 people die because of politics. Okay? Every person that dies is our responsibility. Anywhere, anytime, anywhere in the world. Who, there was a, actually one of the church fathers or the founding fathers that said, America is great because America is good. And when America ceases to be good, she will cease to be great. And we need to realize we're on that slippery slope towards ceasing to be good. Amen? We're still putting out missionaries and that kind of stuff. But we've got to get some kind of moral footing. Because logic will tell you that abortion is okay. Logic. You can take it right on through. Well, if somebody's raped and they've heard it, it'll take you right on over. But logic does not always line up with holiness and righteousness. Amen? So we've got to find out what is true and absolutes. Okay? Devils hate absolutes. Because there's always a standard. Now, let's go quick here. He says, there we go, verse 12. She says, I've got to go back to verse 7. The woman says, Sir, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. From whence then hast thou this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, which gave us the well, and drank thereof himself, and his children, and his cattle? Now notice what Jesus said. Jesus answered and said unto her, Whosoever drinks of this water shall thirst again. You notice, she just said, Are you greater than Jacob? Now, Jesus was the only person that could say, Yep, sure am. I'm the one. I'm it. And right, couldn't he? But do you realize he had no ego? He didn't, he, didn't, he didn't even admit who he was. He wasn't trying to say something he wasn't. You know what he does? He is so focused on her. He says, Woman, let me tell you. Whoever drinks of this water will never thirst again. What is he doing? He's focused on her. He totally ignores her statement. Goes right to the heart of the matter. Why? He's trying to reach somebody. And he says, woman, he goes, whosoever drinks of this water shall thirst again. But whosoever drinketh of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst. But the water that I shall give him shall be in him a well of water springing up into everlasting life. Go back to the beginning. You drink this water, you'll thirst again. You drink the water that I give you, you will never thirst again. Right? Now, how many of you have drank from that water? You drank from the water that Jesus given. You got the Spirit of God living, right? Now, let me ask you this. How many of you have... Sang, don't raise your hand on this one. How many of you have sang a song, something along the lines, came out of Pensacola, most of the things down there is good, certain songs I won't sing, right? I know the people, I know the ones that wrote them, sing them, all that stuff. And so I'm not saying anything here that I haven't said to them. 
But they sing songs. One of them is, Lord, we live in a dry and thirsty land. Send your rain. Right? Oh yeah, I can sing that part. Next part. Lord, I'm so dry and thirsty. Send your rain. Nope, can't sing that part. Why? I'm not dry and thirsty. Why? Because I have drink of His water and I never thirst again. Well, don't you hunger? Oh, no, no. And I see, you got a hunger and thirst. you got a thirst after the things of God. No, no, you do till you get born again. But I got born again. I've drank of His water. I don't thirst anymore. That's why I don't chase after revival. I'm revived. I don't need revival. I'm revived. Right? I don't, I don't run around trying to get a touch here, trying to get a touch there. I run around trying to give touch. Right? William Booth, that's what he said. When he was during the um, 1904, the Welsh Revival, great revival going on. And man, people want to go see it. And he wanted to go see it. And they asked him, they said, you going to go to the revival? He goes, no, I can't go. And they said, why not? They said, he said, because I'll shut it down. And they said, shut it down? Why? What's wrong with it? He goes, oh, nothing's wrong with it. I, I like it. I agree with it. And they said, why would you shut it down? He says, because I'm bigger than that revival. If I show up, the attention will come to me rather than to the revival. Let them move in the revival. You realize he realized that he didn't need to go there to get revived. He realized that he was already doing the work of God and he was revived. We need to quit chasing around after things, trying to get a touch. Oh, let's go to Pensacola. Let's go to Toronto. Let's run over here to Kansas City. How about just get on your face? How about that? And how about just deciding, you know what? God lives in me. He walks in me. How about just waking up? There's nothing in the Bible in the New Testament that tells you to be revived. Not one place. If you're in the New Testament and you're in the New Covenant and you're a Christian, it is expected that you are revived. All revival is talked about in the Old Testament. You know what it is in the New Testament? You know what it says? Awake. Awake. You are revived. You're not dead and need to be made alive again. You need to wake up to righteousness and walk in the freedom that Jesus has provided for you. That's what I'm doing here. I'm awakening you. Right? We're not having revival. We're having an awakening. Right? All right. Some of you don't sound too convinced. I don't know. Okay. Has to start putting up the bulletproof thing here. So. Now, he says here, I've been in some places, let me tell you. I get invited to a lot of places one time. Now, so, he says, Woman, yeah, she says, The woman says unto him, Sir, give me this water that I thirst not, neither come hither to draw. Jesus says unto her, Go call your husband and come hither. The woman answered and said, I don't have a husband. Jesus said to her, you've answered truly that you don't have a husband. Matter of fact, you've had five. And the man you're with now is not your husband. Right? Now, do you realize he just revealed to her she's an adulteress? She's an adulteress. By all accounts here. And now notice what she does. Does she fall on her face and say, oh Lord, you're right, I repent. Now let's look what she says. She says, hmm. The woman said unto him, sir, I perceive that thou art a prophet. What she do? She got real religious all of a sudden. He revealed her sin. She goes, you're a prophet. Now watch. Now what, what does she do? She didn't go, yeah, you're right. Wow, you, revealed, you see my heart? I'm in sin. No, she says, hmm, our fathers worshipped in this mountain. And you say that in Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. What does she do? Yeah, there's my sin. Oh, but don't look at that. Matter of fact, let's talk about the religious hot topic of the day. Let's, let's talk about where we ought to... See how she shifted attention? Right off of her and on to where we ought to worship. What do religious people do? That's exactly what they do. I don't want to hear no preaching about sin. It's because you're in it. Bless God, I don't think we ought to preach against gambling. I don't think we ought to preach about that. You know what? The sin you defend is the sin you're in. Usually. And if you're not in it directly, if you defend it, you're partaker of it. Right? You need to stand up against sin in any form. Simply. Now, he says here, uh, Jesus said, Jesus said unto her, verse 21, Woman, believe me, the hour comes when you shall neither in this mountain, 
nor yet at Jerusalem worship the Father. You worship, you know not what. We know what we worship, for salvation is of the Jews. But the hour comes, and now is, when the true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father seeks such to worship Him. God is a spirit, and they that worship Him must worship Him in spirit and in truth. The woman said unto Him, I know that when Messiah comes, which is called Christ, when He has come, He will tell us all things. Jesus said unto her, I that speak unto thee am He. Now, He doesn't usually do that. Then, upon this came His disciples, and marveled that He talked with the woman, yet no man said, What seekest thou, or why do you talk with her? The woman then left the water pot, went her way into the city, Went to the men, said, Come see a man which told me all things ever I did. Is not this the Christ? Then they went out of the city and came unto him. Now, verse 31. In the meanwhile, his disciples prayed him, saying, Master, eat. Remember, because they went in to get food. Come back out. Master, eat. But he said unto them, I have meat to eat that you know not of. Remember, we've been talking about meat and milk all along. Hearing the Word of God, reading the Word of God, reading the book of Corinthians, all all that's milk. No meat there. Paul said, I want to give you meat, but I can't. He said in Hebrews, you used to be able to take meat, but you can't now. Right? Now you're just in milk. Why? Because you're unskillful in the Word of Righteousness. Now watch what what, what meat is. Jesus said, I've got meat you don't know about. And they said, now watch what they said, one to another. Has any man brought him ought to eat? But Jesus said, my meat is to do the will of Him that sent me and to finish His work. So what is meat? Is it that deep scripture? Is it that deep stuff that we try to dig out and, oh, the Hebrew and the Greek, oh, that's deep, that's good meat. No. The milk is knowing the Word, hearing the Word, preaching the Word. The the meat is doing the Word. Amen? That's the difference. That's the difference between milk and meat. You can hear about it all your life, and as long as you sit and become a hearer and not a doer, you will deceive yourself. But the minute you start doing, see, you, don't, you do the milk and it becomes meat. Amen? You do the milk and it becomes meat. Notice this. Jesus then tells him, Don't you say, or don't you normally say, isn't this something you say, that there are yet four months and then comes the harvest? He says, Behold, I say unto you, Lift up your eyes, look on the fields, for they are white already to harvest. And he that reaps receives wages, and gathers fruit unto life eternal, that both he that soweth and he that reaps may rejoice together. He says, listen, don't, don't you say that there's time to wait, and the harvest is coming four months off? And he says, listen, I'm telling you, the harvest is now. Well, I'm just waiting for the right opportunity. No, the Bible says, preach the word, be instant in season and out. The Greek actually says, when opportunity presents itself and when it doesn't. You're always supposed to preach the word. Well, I'm just waiting for the, right, for the right moment. I'm waiting for the right circumstances. People die while you're waiting for the right circumstances. Especially if the devil knows you're trying to set the circumstances up. So it's always right to do the word. You don't say, wait four months. Well, I'm not ready. It ain't about you. It's about the field. Do you realize that? That when the field is ready, you've got to harvest it when it's ready. Not whenever you feel like getting out and working. Jesus always put the emphasis on the field, never on the worker. Why do we always try to get the worker ready? The worker's ready. You don't have to be skilled to harvest. You just got to be available. But we keep trying to get skilled and say, well, I'll get the harvest when I'm ready. By then the harvest will be dead and it's your fault because you left it in the field. Quit worrying about you. Get your mind off of you. That's the heart of Christianity. Your mind leaves you and gets on the harvest. That's the key to Christianity. Amen? Take a break.